Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to this week's podcast episode. In this episode, we are going to be sharing some very advanced link building tactics and tricks that will help you build more links for less money, rank higher, and outtake your competitors. But before we get started with the episode, I want to remind you that we are currently running the only Authority Hacker Pro launch that we are doing this year. And if you want to have access to our most advanced training, including some of the tactics that we are going to be talking about in this episode, go and check authorityhacker.com pro. There's a bunch of case studies of students that have done really well with the training as well. And you will really get all the info. So I'm not going to talk too much about it, but go and check it out because it's closing really soon. 12 hours after we release this podcast, I believe. So go ahead and check it out. So no more self-promo. Let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Atari Hacker Podcast. As I said in the pre-intro, we are in the middle of an Atari Hacker Pro launch. It's actually the first time we're doing it this year, mostly because we were focused on doing lots and lots of updates for it. We wanted most of them to be out before we actually do another launch. And in today's episode, we're actually going to take a little bit of what we added to Atari Hacker Pro, which is like the brand new link building blueprint that Mark made. So obviously Mark's going to be here for the podcast. And we're going to be sharing some of the tips in there. I like how he's moving his head, but the camera is not on him yet. Before you get on the camera, Mark, you just need to answer how's it going it's going good and john miller is also good i met him the other week at uh brighton seo conference did you what did you ask him did you ask him if eat was a ranking factor or something like this like i asked him if i could take a photo with him and he said it depends so you know classic <laughs> okay. seo evasion technique nice guy but he's not giving up any um nah it's like it's not like any, oh any answers, because so. you come to him at the conference he's gonna spill all the beans yeah, usually that's not how it works. Uh, not the first SEO to try and get information out of him, and I'm sure it won't be the last. And yeah, Google I wouldn't is what even, it is. I wouldn't even bother to be honest. It's like, but it's fun that you guys got to meet him. Actually, you should have um, put your Atari Hacker T-shirt when you took that photo. That's my uh, only regret here. It was in the UK. It was too cold to wear a T-shirt. I'd have my uh, jumper on. So. And you couldn't predict it would be cold in the UK. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's just jump into the podcast. Let's talk about link building. Basically, we want to share some more advanced link building tips. And this is more focused on doing outreach-based link building. So we're not talking about Haro or content-based link building. This is when you reach out and ask for a guest post, a link exchange, things like that. Now, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you already know about basic prospecting, outreach techniques, like the process, and you've been, been running it for a while. So what I want to give you here is just some extra tips which we've developed really in the last sort of six to 12 months, which have significantly elevated the results we've gotten. So there'll be a few prospecting strategies. I'm going to talk about finally how to fix uh, email deliverability, which I know is a problem plaguing a lot of people. We'll touch on vetting, negotiation, and uh, personalization and a few things here. So yeah, first tip is going to be a prospecting strategy we've used, we call the link builder piggyback strategy, which is where you piggyback on other active link builders link building. So it's actually quite easy to implement. The goal here is that you're gonna find site, other sites doing active link building, emphasis on active, so they're, they're gonna be reaching out as well and then mine their backlinks for prospects using Ahrefs or a similar tool. So the best way to start do this is to actually go through your own outreach success sheet or list and just find the sites that you've been building links on. Then you go to each of these sites individually and just have a navigate around. So you can either look at a certain category that's related to your industry, or you can go to Google and do, you know, site colon 
whatever the domain is, domain.com, and then a keyword related to your industry. And then what that's going to give you is a list of posts on their site, which has something to do with your topic. Then what you want to do is go through a number of those posts and look for signs of actively built links. So if you think about it, when you're building a link, where are you putting that link to your site? Quite often, it's going to be very high up in the first paragraph or uh, towards the top. It may be in the bio or it may be somewhere else, but pointing towards like a commercial page that it looks kind of natural, but you and I as link builders both know that that's been put the in there by, as well. by a link if, builder. Yeah. If you look at the anchor text, you can often tell, right? It's like uh, if there is some kind, usually my rationale is if there's at least a partial anchor text with search volume, it's often a link built. If you've been doing link building for a few months, you, you, you start can just spot, look, yeah. spot these really, really quick. So basically what you want to do is then build a list of these sites that are being linked to, and those are going to be the people who are actively building links on, on this same site as well. And then you just mine that that new prospect for backlinks on, on Ahrefs. You, you put it into Ahrefs and you just get all their backlinks and you look for opportunities there as well. So you let them figuring it all out. You'd like let them do the mass outreach, figure yeah. it all out. And you just go and harvest the ones that actually worked and just email these. And so you don't have to do like some crazy mass outreach. You're more likely to get a yes from these sites when you outreach, basically. Exactly. And the sites who are doing better active link building generally find better sites and piggyback on on their success. So would you cross niche that? Like would you go for like sites outside your niche and check what they do? No. I wouldn't. You can a little bit, maybe if it's like a, if you have a dog site, you can go for a pet site, kind of go one step removed or one category up like that. But I wouldn't go from like a, a paintball site to a knitting site, for example. It's like, it's, it's probably not going to make quite so much sense there. Yeah, right. I just was imagining a paintball gun shooting knitting needles for a second. So that's, that would be a good, good cross niche one. I mean, it would be a bit of a stretch, <laughs> I think, but you know, maybe one day. So when we sort of like started using this technique, a question that came up in our team was, well, why don't you just use the Ahrefs outgoing links report? Because I think, that, by the way, they moved that to standard and a like So it's more expensive now? Plans. So it's not on their like lowest plan now. I, I think it's that one they they moved. I've seen some uh, Facebook riots recently about these kind of things. So yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's a, it's a generally good report. But for this specific tactic, it doesn't work so well because normally you would put it into reverse descending order and like look at all the recent links they've got and kind of see see who's there. But it doesn't show you the context of where that link is, what the anchor text is, what page it's linking to. And so your ability to tell whether it's been kind of actively built or they just happen to link to them naturally or as an authority link is somewhat diminished using that report. That's why going through it manually, it doesn't take long to go you through. You kind of want to have had the links as well. Added. Like I wouldn't want all the links that a competitor builds quite often. Like I disagree on the standard of what I would want to my site. So yeah, well, that's the thing. This is just for finding the competitors. Once you actually mine the competitors for backlinks, you can use whatever criteria you have, filter it by DR. Yeah, I don't take everything. I like, don't just like copy that. everything people have done. I'd like just double check the sites, etc. People make lots of mistakes when they build links and I wouldn't just blindly copy. But you can actually, you can repeat this process kind of in Indefinitely, much like you do with like keyword research, research yeah, strategies, same. because once you found that prospect, they have a lot of backlinks, and then you can look and at you find their competitors sites for yeah. who's building active links on there. Yeah, you know, keep going forever. The one downside with this is you have to be a little bit careful of link farms because sites which are building a lot of active links, like a lot of them end up building a lot of them from not so good sites, which are easy to pay for links on. 
aka link farms. So you really have to be careful when you're you're vetting your the sites there. But yeah, it's a good link building tactic nonetheless. Okay. Next one. So the next uh, one's another prospecting strategy which we use, and that is to use another Ahrefs feature, which is the competing domains feature. So the idea is that we're looking to find any site which ranks for a similar set of keywords that we rank for. So the idea here is to find a relevant site. And you might know some relevant sites just by doing your keyword research or just being familiar with your niche. But if you put your own domain into the competing domains feature in Ahrefs, it's going to spit out a bunch of sites who rank for similar keywords you do. And you can then just mine these for backlink opportunities. Look at what backlinks they have and start creating prospect lists based on that. So it's a really, really effective way. This is another one which you can kind of repeat forever because then you put each of the kind of domains that it spits out back into the same tool, like the competing domains tool, and then finds a slightly different list. There will be some overlaps you have to deduplicate, but you can kind of keep going with this over and over and over again. And so if you're really trying to do outreach at scale, this is a tactic which is going to get you just thousands and thousands of new opportunities kind of almost forever. So yeah, really, really good one there. One tip I actually have if you're taking this approach, if you use Google Sheets, you can create like a concatenate formula. So you can you can mix up the Ahrefs URL to generate this report plus the domain. And then you can kind of replicate it down and it'll spit out a bunch of URLs. And in Google Sheets now, if you just select a bunch of URLs and then press Alt-Enter, what that does, it opens all of them in uh, new tabs. So oh, it's wow, a really okay. quick way to open a bunch of URLs from Google Sheets. So that, that kind of helps with the workflow of, uh, of doing this. The one downside of uh, this competing domains thing is you don't get data on the domain. So you don't get DR, you don't get traffic from that report. So you have to then put that put it back through the Ahrefs batch analysis tool if you want to get that for you know filtering purposes and whatnot. But that's it's really quick and quick and easy to do that. I really feel like Ahrefs should start building like a build your own reports thing where you just would be able to put all the data, et cetera, right? Man, honestly, like for I, the price I, we talked pay, to, man. I talked to Tim <laughs> about this, I think like seven years ago or something, like yeah, really yeah. back back in the day. It's funny, like when we first started doing shotgun skyscraper, we ended up building this like tool which would go and like pull reports you used to have to wait eight seconds between it and there was like factored in the delays and did a bunch of cool stuff but we first tried to do it via the api I remember. and it may have changed but back then you actually got less information in the api than you used to they have a new api now so it might have changed there was discussion back then about a report builder for ahrefs and i think it'd be a really good feature i think a lot of people would use it in creative ways and it would make the tool better but I understand that would be very difficult to build technically. I think it would take it more to the like enterprise level. Like obviously the pricing is moving more to that. So it's like now you start expecting that. Like for 99 bucks a month, I don't. But when you start charging quite a bit more, then I would start expecting these kind of things. Yeah. Okay, let's jump on to the next one, which is Yeah, vet your sites more thoroughly. So we kind of touched on this back in August, I think, when we did the podcast on uh, link farms. We'll put a link to that up here if you're watching on YouTube. But basically there's uh, fourth factors you're looking at. You want to determine, is it a real site? Does it exist just to sell links? Is it one of these kind of magazine style sites that cover every topic, which looks like a nice enough site, but they have a travel section, a business section, a health section, <laughs> a, a CBD section. <laughs> so they can basically sell guest posts to anyone and it can still be considered relevant. Yeah, the question here is like, could you find 
a topic you could not fit into the categories. And if not, then it's probably a, a link farm. No, no, that's that's not true. Oh, it's, it's not Forbes. probably com. a link farm. You could you could say yeah, <laughs> <But> Forbes.com <laughs> or any big site would would, yeah. would do this. But if it's a DR30 site, like this is potentially a red flag, but it's not the only thing, right? We're looking at other factors here as well. And the next thing you should look at is the neighborhood, I guess you call it that. So is do they have a casino category? Are they linking out to uh, CBD reviews from their homepage? Big, big red flag if sites are doing that. You can also, again, use the Ahrefs outgoing links report. And if you sort by in descending order, so newest to oldest, you can see you know all the links they built over the last few weeks, few months, and it will just really give you an idea of the types of sites which are building links there. And if it's all kind of spammy, nefarious looking sites, then there would be a bit of a red flag. We don't really use DR quite so, or we don't trust DR in the same way that we used to for assessing whether a link is going to be good or not. It's definitely something you could look at, you should look at. If it's DR zero, you probably ignore it. But I've seen plenty of DR 60, 70, 80 sites, which are not good and you would not want to link from them so it doesn't really tell the whole whole story anymore instead so zombification is, theory right it's like uh, google has zombification zomb- yeah that's a <laughs> google has zombified part created, of the but- internet well they have right the core updates have killed like a chunk of the internet in terms of traffic and google's favor but dr da etc have not reflected that and so now we have a disconnection between what you see in hrefs and what google actually thinks is good and until the seo tools address that DR is not a trustable metric. I'm not on its sure own. if it's like I'm, I'm really own. not sure if the SEO tools need to address that, or just we as SEOs need to understand what DR actually is and use some of the other metrics that are available, such as uh, traffic estimate. Actually, as you're saying that, Ahrefs literally five hours ago at the time at which we're recording just released URL rating 2.0. So they are addressing their metrics. I haven't looked at it, so I can't tell if like it addresses that part. On the URL level, maybe not. I think, I think that's still not, a link-based thing, no? I haven't looked, actually. It's quite a difficult challenge to solve this, but for the purposes of link building, if you just look at traffic instead, it's not always going to tell you what's going on, but it gives you a much better indication of what Google thinks of the site. And particularly if you look at things like traffic trajectory, did it used to have 100K three years ago and then has it dipped 2000? Then, you know, that's a really big red flag, uh, any site that, that looks like that. Even though with traffic, there's a lot of link farmers out there who have sort of learned tactics to manipulate that within, within Ahrefs and within other, other tools. So if you go and look at the actual keywords, which a site is ranking for, just briefly, you can see, you know, is it, are these real keywords related to the niche or is it some, you know, error code ranking in Vietnam, which because they rank number four, they get 400K traffic and that's like 99% of all their traffic. So the number, number you're seeing isn't actually real. It's just reflective of that. And it's probably a bit, bit of an error. Also like look at location. So some sites have a lot of traffic, but the vast majority of it is like non-US, non-English speaking. And that's not necessarily a problem for a local site. But if they're kind of positioning themselves as this big international blog or something, then maybe there's kind of like more to it and you, you have to be a little bit little bit careful there. Interestingly, as I was looking at this, Neil Patel, uh, one of the biggest sites in our industry, 2.9 million users per month, according to Ahrefs, but only half a million US. 
Now, half a million is still amazing. So I think he's doing a lot of um, localization stuff. So I know they, they translate their, their content. So that's responsible for a lot of it. But yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, look under the hood and you can can learn a bit more. And of course, the trajectory of traffic, not just traffic, but DR is kind of slow to go down, but traffic's a lot faster to go down when it actually is like getting hit by, by Google. So that trajectory is very important as well. If you want to have someone else do this in your team, what you can do is you can create a kind of like scoreboard for these four things. You know, is it a real site, neighborhood, traffic, trajectory, and look at those four factors and create like a one to five rating for each of them and what that means and train people on that. So they can just quickly say, oh, this is a two, four, one, three site, and then calculate the total number. And you can create a threshold for what you think is going to be an acceptable link to build. There's always some subjectivity to it, but this is just a way to try and train people who perhaps don't have the same eye for what's a good site or a real site as as someone who has some more experience might We're going to have that do. template in our H Pro, right? Like we're going to have that spreadsheet for people actually. It's not in there yet, it's, but it's, it's in, pro, yeah, in so progress. One, yeah. It's actually one of our members, Jason Malone, who runs uh, We Outreach. He is he showed this kind of tactic to us, so that's what they they use, and he's he's promised to share the template so and make Jason. a video put inside. So we'll hold you to that. <laughs> exactly. Okay. What's the next one? Well, actually, I just want to talk about one other thing, and that is uh, the Right for Us page, because this question I get asked a lot is: if a site has a Right for Us page, does that mean it's like a bad site to get a link from? And as anything in SEO, it means the, the answer is it depends. It doesn't automatically mean it's a bad site. There are really good sites like uh, getresponse.com, who I think we have a link from. They have a right for us page. And I think most people here would agree that you'd probably want a link from GetResponse. Actually, funny story. Um, funny story how I got that link from GetResponse, which was at the beginning of Atari Hacker when we just started. I wrote a guest post for them. And then they removed, I think I added two links to Authority Hacker and they removed all of them when they posted it. And then I was like, guys, why do you think I wrote that guest post? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, like, I'm, I'm happy to call it content. It was a good content, but I was like, guys, it's like, that's not cool, especially when you kept, you added extra links inside to get response as well. So it was like some kind of marketing executive I was talking to. And then she starts, she reads the links and she no follows them. I'm like, what do you think I'm doing this for? <laughs> and then it's like, and she got quite mad at me over the emails, but she eventually do follow the links and never replied to me again. So that's the story of how I got get response links when Notary Hacker was a tiny blog, actually. That's actually a really interesting story. I think that <laughs> showcases, like, we should maybe add an extra point to this list than that. Like, just <laughs> okay. fucking persistent, you know? Yeah. Like, when you're trying to get a link, like, you don't take no for an answer, especially if you spend the time to I was write good. it. Like, I it was you were writing cool. it yourself yeah, back it then good. as yeah, well. Yeah, I wrote everything. It was, like, original examples. Like, kind of like, you know, how when I write a newsletter, I go and find examples and I do... It takes time, you know? And so I was like, well, you know, it wasn't... I didn't exaggerate. Like, it was one branded link and one keyword link or something like this it wasn't crazy basically and uh yeah it's like when they removed them i had to like go back and forth like three or four times to eventually have my follow links on getresponse.com so that was the story i love it okay let's move on then the next one is write a catchy outreach message now we had uh bb the link builder from i think bb buzz is her website on about a year ago and this really opened my eyes to the whole kind of like funny quirky 
outreach message. And we've been playing around with it a lot, particularly for our more kind of like mass outreach type link building. So we don't do it quite as much if we're doing very targeted like sniper email. And it doesn't really matter if you're trying to get links from kind of like low end link farms or whatever, they'll, they'll reply to everyone. But it's for all those sites in the middle who are, you know, real sites who some of them might sell links, some of them might not, but you kind of need to be standing out from all the just noisy spam that they get otherwise. So we tend to use like a, a dad joke or a pun. So if we take the paintball example, there's actually a, there's a, a site, there are many sites out there which have lists of paintball puns. So just Google paintball puns. <laughs> yeah. And the first one I saw came up was, I shot a man with a paintball gun, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> just to watch him die, D-Y-E. Yeah, I just Googled yeah. it and that's the uh -huh. first one that came up. Very <laughs> funny. And that groan that how many thousand people listening to this right now just had, like, what a terrible joke. It is, but that's kind of the point. It, like, it stands out and it, it gives people a bit of a chuckle and they're like, especially if it's, it's like, I shot a man with a paintball gun, dot, dot, dot. It's like, okay, I need to find out what happens next. So they open it and it just kind of gets them further along. So that it's, basically, it's, not, it's basically a TikTok that you're doing in an email, basically. Of sorts, yeah. It's <laughs> not foolproof. And this is not like, don't go sending this to like, you know, your DR90 sites or whatever where you're doing sniper link building. But if you're looking for something for a template, then it can work really well. Again, not so much for like corporate -y or B2B stuff. If you're an agency doing this you, for like a client, there may be considerations there. But like us for our brands, we don't really care. We're kind of like a bit quirky, bit bit more fun. So did um, we get higher to, open to rates or response rates when we started doing that? Like what was the results when you did this, you know? So significantly higher open rates. I don't have the numbers to me, but the main thing is we got a lot of people saying, oh, I don't normally respond to these outreach messages, but and then they would respond to ours. So, and, and that's something we didn't get with just, you know, the standard outreach templates we were using previously. So that's why we've, um, we've been doing it a lot. So more. don't, uh, don't bother with quality content. You just need shitty jokes in your subject lines, basically. Yeah, basically. Okay. So moving on to the next one, we have personalize the name at scale. We did a study a few years back and found that personalized email, so that's just saying someone's name at the start of an email, had a slightly higher open rate, but it resulted in, I think it was like 50% more links because we actually tracked not just open rate or reply rate, but links we built over a, a huge sample size. So that was really eye-opening. Like personalization really helps, especially for those middle of the market links, which are sites which are not giving links out so free and easy. So get someone's name. How do you get that? Well, if you're using Hunter or any of these like Snowvio tools, often or sometimes you'll get the name, but not all the time. There'll be a lot of uh, emails you're getting which don't have names attached to them and you can you know manually search around figure it out from the the site and you know, look in their about page and do all sorts of stuff but which is fine if you're doing sniper but for more kind of scaled i guess you call it outreach you can't really you don't have the time to do that so a quick sort of workaround we found was to actually look at the email prefix so my email address mark at authorityhacker.com if you look at that if you look at that, it's pretty obvious, like my name's going to be Mark. You know Mark is a name, so you can just put it in there. So we actually had a process several years ago now where we would like use uh, Excel to extract the email prefix 
And then we would compare the prefix to list of names from like the US census. It would look up Mark and it would find Mark in this database. And if it found it, then it was, yeah, that's a real name. So we'll use that. Now that's fine if it's a simple did word. Did you try like my that, name? Like Mark. Like, did, does it work? Yeah, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I, think, I think it is. Yeah, it's quite a com right. common enough name. The problem was that there's all these kind of variations which don't quite work. So if you have Ed instead of Edward, and then you have a surname in it as well, it can kind of get confused about what's going on there. So a good example would be if you look up the word Edward is E-D-W-A-R-D. Now, is their name Edward or is it Ed? And then their surname is Ward, because that's also a surname. There's all sorts of, or, or if they have their surname before their first name and their uh, surname's like Paul and their first name's John, which are also both first names. Like there's all sorts of rules that make it not as effective as it could be to use this tactic. So we made a list of them and we sent it to our developer and we said, build something that solves this. And he did. So we actually have a free email name finder on Authority Hacker. If you go to authorityhacker.com slash email dash name dash finder, we'll put the URL in here and in the show notes and stuff as well. This one is free, right? Yeah, it's totally free. And basically it just does that. It looks looks up against the census and it has all the exceptions built in. And where it's not 100% sure what the first name is because there's maybe conflicting data or it's, you know, there's two first names in there, then it'll output like a lower confidence score. It'll say it's not definitely sure. And you can actually upload your hunter.io output sheet on there. And then it'll just add it to there and you can download it. So it literally takes seconds to do. So if you're doing any kind of link building at scale, you might want to use this uh, completely free tool. You don't even need to sign up or anything. That's like um, an easy so increase in open rate helping. and then link acquired. Like it's like you need to work on all these metrics to eventually get more links. There's no magic tactic. It's more about doing like things better. And it's one of these things that two, three, four, five percent efficiency here and there. You do that many times over, and it, it stacks up, and that's how you win at link building. That's the secret. The secret is not some secret tactic that like nobody shares with you, and everyone's doing. It's more like how you do it properly. Well, there are maybe a couple of secrets, but we'll get onto that. So now. why am I listening to this and podcast if there's a secret? Well, I'm going to tell you in ah, just a second. Okay. All right. So what's if the you, secret? You have the patience. What's the secret? Well, before we get to the secret, I want to talk about the cause <laughs> of the what the biggest problem I see with mass outreach, and that is deliver email deliverability. So what happens if you're sending 10, 20, 30, 40, you know, building up per day emails? It's quite common that some of these will start to go to spam or some email providers will not blacklist you, but yeah, mark you as spam basically because they your reputation is somewhat ruined with them. And all of the email providers have different kind of triggering mechanisms and thresholds. And it's a bit of a kind of art rather than a science of what, what happens behind it all. But there's actually a really good tool called Glock Apps that you can use to identify what the problem, where the problems lie. So we've been using this for a while and you, we normally send emails Monday to Friday, so we don't send anything on a Saturday or Sunday. So on either Saturday or Sunday, we'll run a Glock Apps test for that account. And basically Glock Apps has a bunch of email accounts on all the providers and you just send an email from your actual inbox to all to a list of addresses that it gives and it measures did it go to spam did it go to promotions was it delivered all this kind of stuff and it will it'll give you a report of of what's going on 
So once you have that information, you can then see what's going on and decide, okay, do I need to fix something here? And don't worry, the next point is actually, I'll tell you how to fix it. One thing you can do to actually help prevent getting into that situation though, is to use a tool called Dbounce, dbounce.io. And I found this works in addition to Hunter and the, the other kind of email verification settings that these email finding tools have. I don't know whether it's stricter or what it does, but it seems to cut out some more emails than the other tools do. And so you just upload your list and it says, okay, these emails are good and these are not. And so you, you kind of cut it down. And we found that deliver, the deliverability seems to go up more or go down less, however you, you kind of look at it, um, when we use Dbounce versus just Stock Hunter. But now, how do you fix deliverability issues once you're already there? This is a question we get asked a, a lot. And really, once you're in the doghouse, you can still fix things, absolutely. And uh, you'll read most guides, they'll be like, oh, you know, sort your DKIM and you know, your SPF. But I'm assuming you've done all that because most people doing outreach have, have done, done all that already. You need to kind of understand how email systems work with spam and like what's going on here. If a few people are marking it as spam, if, it, if it's not being delivered, if they're kind of building this picture of what you're doing and it's not looking good, then they'll start marking you as spam, but they're never really sure whether they've got it right. Like unless you're really like sending millions of emails and you know doing some nefarious stuff. So it doesn't really take much to kind of just push you out of the, the spam box and get back into the inbox. I've seen many situations where just asking, you know, five, 10 of your friends to send them an email, go to their spam, find it, click not spam, and that fixes it. But obviously, you need to have lots of friends, no friends? To, to do that. So if you don't have friends, then you can <laughs> buy friends who can do this ah, for you. I like that. And there are a bunch of platforms out there uh, which which do these kind of like micro tasks. So I think MTurk was the the biggest one. I think it was owned by Amazon. I've never actually used MTurk. We use it's one really called, shit to use. They're all kind of they all have have their issues. I haven't found one that's like super slick yet, but we use one called microworkers.com and you just pay people for small jobs. It's looks like it was designed in 1995, but it works and they have a lot of people and you can sort of segment it by country. Obviously you pay more if you want someone in the US to do it versus in India or Asia. But yeah, you set up a, a sign up form. So it can be a simple Google form and then you connect that using Zapier or whatever to your email so that when someone fills in the form, it fires that name, that email address, an email, and that can be your outreach template you're using, it can be whatever you want. And then the job you set someone is enter their name and their email address in that form, and then go to their inbox and find the email, mark it as not spam, and then reply with the one or two sentences to you. And then you can pay people Sometimes, you know, as low as five cents for doing that. If you do it for someone in the US, it would be, you know, more like 50 cents. Do you need to do but different like countries depending on where you're hitting spam, etc.? Like you use the reports to pick the countries? How does it work? There's two options you can do. If you're using Glock apps, it will show you certain regional country or things. So like, I think Yandex is at the Russian one. And there's some German ones in there. So if you if you notice it in specific countries, you can you do it that way. Most of the time, though, it's just, you know, Hotmail and Outlook or, or Gmail one of those 
too that's that's causing the, the problems. In which case, you actually the country is not quite so important as the, provider, the email yeah. provider. So you can then specify the task as being you know only people who have a Gmail, and then you can change your form settings so it only takes at gmail.com. And yeah, when we've done this. In 100% of times, we've been able to get out of the doghouse and fix our, our email deliverability. So it, it really works and it works very, very well. Yeah, highly recommend. How, do, how much does it cost, all these tools? Like if I want to like use this? It's, I mean, the tool itself is free, but you you, you pay per job and I'm... Again, no, you're talking I'm talking five. more for Glock apps, et cetera. So Glock apps is actually really cheap. I mean, first of all, they have a, a free plan. So I think you get three spam tests so you can try it out completely free. And then if you're only doing this every weekend, you only really need to run four tests per month. And so you don't need any of their fixed plans, which come with hundreds of tests and all bunch of stuff you don't need. You can actually build a custom plan for $10 a month, which has four email spam tests. And it gets significantly cheaper. You know, if you're doing 20 a month, it goes from $10 to $10.88. So it's not an expensive tool. Okay, cool. Can I get the secret now? That was the secret. <laughs> oh, uh, really? <laughs> wow. I am so blown away. No, okay. It was actually, it's pretty useful. Like when I talk to link building agencies, when I talk to people who do link building at scale, et cetera, it's their main problem. It's like, how do I get an email that hits the inbox every single time and I'm able to do that scale reaching enough people? Because that's kind of the problem with outreach. And so while it doesn't necessarily sound amazing if you're not doing active leading building, Believe me, one of the reasons you get few answers is because you're hitting the spam or the promotion inbox. And working on that is extremely important, albeit a little boring, but if you want the results, that's what you're going to have to do. Yeah. <laughs> and you can also run this as a preventative mode, so you can sort of throttle the amount of jobs on these platforms every day. So you just have one or two a day and spend 20 cents, 50 cents a day and kind of avoid getting there in the first place. So yeah. There's a lot of flexibility. Yeah, just keep the avocado toast and spend these 20 cents a day. That's uh, exactly that's, <laughs> like the, the boomer advice, you know, the, fin the financial, financial tips. <laughs> okay, well, do we have one more? Yeah, one last one. So this is just negotiate a lot hard on link placement and paid link placement, especially costs. I think we could kind of wrap in what you said earlier with the get response situation to like just be a bit more kind of like, yeah, I want to I want to uh -huh. get this done and don't take no for an answer. When it comes to actually paying for links, if that's something you choose to do, um, we did a survey recently and I think it was like 74, 75 percent of people quarters, yeah. who build links are now paying for links. So it just gives you an idea of, of what everyone's doing. The rough price we've seen on the market is around about a dollar per DR. It's very rough though, and yeah, when you it get goes higher, out the window. It's much it goes better. out the window as soon as you get into higher DR ranges. Yeah, so don't kind of use that for the higher end. Some specific tactics though, um, if someone comes back to you with a price and you want to ne negotiate, blame an outside party. So my boss won't let me do this, or my boss hasn't given me the budget for it. It's not my fault. I want to do it. It's him or her. This works for everything. Like I actually learned that in negotiation skill when I was studying in Hong Kong. Like my teacher was like head of outsourcing for General Motors, and then he just became like a teacher in the university. And literally, like he was like, every time you negotiate, never negotiate in your name. Always negotiate in the name of the person above you, so people don't hate you. There's no animosity. You just deflect all the negativity to some person who is not here, and build conditions as well. It's like, oh, I love this. If 
they say yes or whatever. And then you can just like negotiate all the way you want and remove all that negativity. It works really well, actually. I use this in real life all the time, actually. You probably shouldn't have co-founder in your uh, email <laughs> signature if you're going to go down that, that no. route. But yeah. Uh, just say, uh, if Mark says yes, it's like I would never take a decision without him or something. Like It's like it's, it's always like that. It's like, oh, he's going to be so mad if I do that without talking to him. Like, I don't want to deal with the trouble. And trust me, you don't want to deal with that trouble either. The funny <laughs> thing is, Gail literally never asks me for anything. <laughs> it just goes and does it. So I'm, I can only assume there's like a, a legion of people out there that like hate me for saying no to yeah, stuff that I've never even heard about. So apologies for that <laughs> if you happen to be listening to this. But yeah, it's a good tactic. Another one though is to just ask for an exception. So what happens a lot in negotiating price is that you kind of go down this route where each of you end up committing to a a range. And if there's no overlap there, it's like, well, you've already said the highest you can go is a hundred bucks. And they've already said the lowest they can go is 150. And they said, oh, I can't go any lower. This is the final price. I can't go any higher. This is my price. So how do you bridge that gap without losing it? Well, you just ask them to make an exception just as one time. And it gives them that emotional out because that price they were committing to it might not necessarily be the price they actually committed to. They were just trying to kind of negotiate hard and you both were. They don't want to lose face as well. Like I think that's the main thing. I think it's like you don't want to contradict yourself unless there's a good reason and you give the context for people to do it. Otherwise, they feel like they've given up and they've lost the negotiation, which you want to give that opening to people so they feel better about it. Always give them that like off ramp and you'll, you'll do well. And then the final thing I would say is just always remember, and this kind of comes under negotiate harder, just always remember that you have the opportunity to turn it into a link exchange as well. So if they don't want to give you a link, then is there somewhere that you can link to them or do you have another site that you do a three-way exchange on as well? And that can be you know really effective. I think that works. But I think in general, like these, these negotiated negotiation tactics has been difficult for me today are actually really useful a lot of people are pretty bad at this and you're standing out so much from the DSR emails when you start doing these things that you will get more results than you expect actually so I highly and also for life you can use this for life all the time it works really well also the because right so it's like actually it was in uh, Cialdini in like uh, influence so basically, if you say like the story was like, oh, people are queuing for the photocopier and then they want to take, they want to make a copy of something. If you went to people and be like, hey, can I get in front of you? Like 80% of people would say no. And it's like, if you went to people and you said, hey, can I get in front of you? Because I need to go home after, like whatever, like the, whatever reason, just because you said, because. The study was actually, they didn't even because make I a Because I have to take excuse, a photocopy. Said, yeah, I, was, I think that was it. Yeah. Can I go in front of you because I have to make a coffee? Yeah. And yeah. 80% of people said yes versus no when you didn't say that because thing which is crazy so giving a reason for like why you're asking things also works really well like oh because i have this my boss gave me this role like you can combine the two tactics right you can blame the boss and give a reason so it's like oh because my boss gave me this objective and i'm gonna be really in trouble at the end of the month if i don't get this and i don't have any budget left so sorry but i can't pay 150 i need to pay 100 that would really help me that just that one time now you combined everything and that works really well and so like yeah like uh, that would work really well as well so i think one day we should this is like completely out of topic, but this in real life is so useful as well to know how to do all these things. One day we should do uh, another, the, in the philosophy podcast, we never started with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, any final tips, anything, any secrets? If no. you want more secrets, <laughs> then we actually have an entire blueprint with like 50 odd videos of this stuff inside Authority Hacker Pro. And 
at the time this goes out, you have, I think, 12 hours before the launch closes. And it's the only one we're doing this year. So if you want to join, and you want to get all our lean building secrets, then yeah, go to authorityhacker.com slash pro. Yeah, that's really advanced stuff, basically. Like that's not just like oh, like uh, basic outreach, etc. Like we're really going into the nitty gritty for like to get more into the inbox, to get people to say more yes, etc. And that really makes the difference. Like there's several agencies that have used this stuff and have seen massive differences, made massive savings. Like I think we have a testimony on the sales page of like Tony who like saved like can't remember, like uh, several thousand dollars per month just from like using a few of these things, etc. At this scale, it really does make a difference and it really does change things, even if you're not necessarily that excited about like optimizing your delivery rate or something like that. So go and check it out. Autoryhacker.com slash pro is where you will find all the information. It's closing really soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, thumb it up, give us a comment, subscribe, and we'll see you in two weeks for another episode. Bye.